Welcome to the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I am your host, Alana George, and I am obsessed with real estate. I'm so excited that you could join me today in interviewing Craig, Craig McGrother with Lone Star Capital. He goes into what to look for in a key principal or a general partner syndication group the current challenges that he's seeing in the multifamily space, specifically in Houston, as well as he talks about how he went from selling his first home as a real estate agent to his best friend to now he and his partner have over $350 million of assets under management. Quite the difference. So before we hop into the interview and the rest of the show with him, I just want to touch base with you, our listeners. I'm recording this end of March. I'm 35 weeks pregnant now getting kind of big. So this show is, here's my belly. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening to this, it should be about a week before I'm due with my baby boy. So go head over to my Instagram if you're interested and see when that baby boy comes. And that's Alana George underscore real estate. And you can follow me there and follow the journey with that, with, with second chapter of momhood. Also what's coming up for me this week. And I, I really want to share this with you. Our listener is kind of a tiff and Hmm, how should I put this? I've taken a different approach to a problem that I've been having at home and in my marriage. So I am generally a very messy person and both my husband and I are entrepreneurs who are busy with our businesses all the time. I am also the primary caregiver for my daughter. So needless to say, our house is really messy. I'm not a very neat person. I did not grow up in a very neat household. Nobody really cleaned. These are not habits that I formed. They're not a part of me. And so that's been a constant struggle in my marriage is having a clean house. Like I don't want to clean the house. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. It's not a dollar producing activity. It just doesn't have any value to me, but to my husband living in a clean house is really important, right? So I say you clean it, but he doesn't have time to clean up after my mess. So I realized I do this a lot in my business all the time right? Addressing problems, sticky areas, troubleshooting that comes along that I need to build habits to become the person I want to be, right? Because we are the creatures of habit for one, but who we are is what we habitually do. And so I've created habits around waking up early, around perfect schedules, around calendaring, around being a mom. And I have all of these things that I track in my life because I want to be this person. And now I need to look at how do I become a neater person at home and keep a cleaner home? So I made a family chore chart. I went on Canva, created this super cute family chore chart, stuck it on the fridge. And it's been three weeks now. And we've been doing a really good job keeping to it a daily, weekly, kind of a bit of accountability, but really just showing, Hey, these are some things. If you have some downtime, do them in the house and it's going to make a world of difference. So I encourage you at home, of course, in business, but at home too, like, where are you struggling? What kind of systems can you put into place and where can you create new habits that didn't exist before? Right. We are not 
forever stuck as the people that we were born as. If you want to change, you just have to create new habits around that change. And that could be systematizing like I did where you do this every day, you do this, you do this. Even my daughter, my three-year-old has daily and weekly tasks on this chore chart and she loves checking them off. It's fun. It's something we can do together. Chores isn't a four-letter word to her. It isn't bad. It's exciting. It's something that we get to do and share together. So yes, with that, where can you, where can you inject that in your life and maybe smooth out an area just as I did? We will see. I'll keep you updated on that. But ask me again in a couple months about this chore chart and we'll see how it's, how it's holding up if I'm a neater person in general or not. So with that, that's my two cents that's on my mind that I wanted to share. Let's hop into the interview with Craig McGrother with Lone Star Capital. So I have Craig McGrother here with the Lone Star Capital. Had to take that a few times because I kept mispronouncing his name, but you explained it so beautifully. You said growth, right? Correct. Yes. Like our portfolios, ideally. Maybe not in this interest rate environment right now, but long-term, hopefully. So perfect. Easy to remember. Craig McGrother with Lone Star Capital. I won't get that wrong again. Thank you so much for hopping on the show. I'm really excited to dive into your story. So Craig and I met a while back, right? You were living here in the Bay Area and we were both working for Intero as real estate agents. And I think that our paths crossed because of the YPN network and happenings, right? Am I yeah. wrong? Yeah, no, that, that's about right. So if a memory serves me, obviously been Facebook friends for a while. And then in addition to that, YPN, and then of course, I think we had some mutual friends and the offices and such and kind of connected. And obviously just like any real estate, whether if you're in the syndication space, residential, commercial, it's a very small and tight knit community. So everyone kind of ends up knowing everyone should you want to be, have any sort of social presence. So. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks to social media, we we kind of reconnected. I think you had reached yes. out to me when yeah. I had started, I put on Facebook that I started the new business last year of syndications and you're like, Hey, I'm going to connect with you. Yeah. So. No, great serendipity there. Indeed. I saw that and the sales hat goes on on my head. So I was like, okay, well I should probably reach out. And it seems like we had a lot of synergies. And then you obviously have this lovely podcast. I think we spoke perhaps in January. Yeah. Really cool. So, and then we're like, oh, well we have to get on a show together. So you kindly invited me and here we are now. Here we are. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to dive in and I get all of your time for at least about an hour to, to hear all of your secrets and share with us your inspiration and story and journey. So hopping in, what got you into real estate and real estate investing and why? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So real estate always kind of just made sense to me in the weirdest way. It, I mean, obviously it's a hard and real asset. So it always naturally stuck and made sense in my dyslexic brain. I kind of came out of the womb wanting to do real estate. Uh, I always thought I wanted to sell homes and that's what I've been doing for the past seven years. So I had that. And then I kind of got pulled into another direction with one of my really good friends who is a key principal and a founder of a company, Lone Star Capital, which I'm with currently. So I kind of got pulled there, but I started off in the residential side. I always wanted to sell homes. I was kind of a kid who was watching HGTV a lot, funny enough. And 
TV and ESPN, kind of a, a funny combination. It's something I wanted to do and that never left me right out of college. I joined Intero, worked there for three and a half years prior to moving out here to Scottsdale. And then I was selling real estate here, still had my license active with a great firm out here and then transitioned into my new world in the syndication space with Lone Star Capital. So. That's beautifully summed up. And for our listeners or anybody that doesn't know, can you explain what a key principle is? Yeah. So a key principle is a decision maker, a founder, usually of a company who would be the grantor and would be signer potentially on loans, mm -hmm. the ones that kind of control and run the company, make the big decisions. Yeah. Kind of like the backbone of syndication transactions. Okay, great. So help us understand your first deal that really got your feet wet, your toes in the water with real estate investing. So yeah, great question. So I was 23 three years old, maybe going on 24 at the time. So hadn't, young. I <laughs> hadn't done a single deal, which to all those folks who are starting real estate in their 20s, stick with it because the compounding games are amazing, but it does take time to get going. So I was kind of at the end of my wits. It was like, all right, either I need to start making money here or I need to get a go down a different career path just because I can't afford to make no money forever. I was driving Uber on the weekend and I was like, okay, I tried cold calling, didn't really have much success with that at the time. Didn't really have my voice doing that. And I was in the Bay Area market. There's not a lot of transaction velocity and cold calling is not really the most accepted form of practice. Being 23, there's not really many people my age that were buying properties. So right. I ended up actually flyer dropping in an area, knocking on doors. And I knocked on, of course, a family friend's door and they're like, oh yeah, my son's looking to buy a property. So set up an appointment with him and about five months later, or maybe three months later, I sold him my first property. It was a townhome or condo, excuse me, in San Mateo. And it was great momentum, but for, it's kind of funny. You work from your sphere of influence, your center of power, as they say. So that was how my first transaction got done. So it was proof of concept and another reminder, hey, work from your, your place of power, work with friends and family to start, and then it'll all compound and grow from yeah, that's great. Being so young, sometimes I hear the opposite, right? I mean, I think I was like 25 or 26 when I started in real estate, still relatively young. And or, I've heard and we are in, in the space, just generally. Yeah, like, in the space, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Where the average realtor is like, what, 67 now? So still relatively young. Sometimes I felt I felt like because my own friends and family knew me, like they knew me as like this little girl. Right. And so it's like almost easier to work with strangers who didn't know me my whole life. Right. But I think that that's really cool that you gain, you had that trust right off the bat. Right. I, I got totally lucky. And to your point, I'm from Menlo Park, which is a crazy area and neighborhood with price point and whatnot. So here I am just a kid for sure. Uh, and I worked with my family friends, a child who's kind of closer to my age. So it made sense there. But would he trust me maybe with his house if he was selling it at that time? Right. Probably not, regardless of a mentor that I had. Shout out Sandy at the time. The reality is, is that it was kind of a, a unique situation and it kind of snowballed from there from a transaction perspective. But gosh, getting your first deal done is so tough. But it really is a very, very much an uphill battle to get going. And I actually felt a lot more comfortable working or talking to strangers than I did my own family friends, which is, I think, a very natural and common process. And that's kind of standard for most people who get into the business and space. But then you realize, hey, no, those people know, like, trust you, just build it. But it is intimidating when you get into the business and you're selling 
really large assets. Sometimes you don't believe in yourself enough to do it, which is not a place you want to be. And you want to have the place of confidence and knowing that you are just as capable as anyone else, maybe despite the amount of years you spent in the business. So that Right, right. You touch on a lot of great things. Just a side story is that my first deal in real estate sales came from, well, first one came from an open house. It was a stranger, but the second one was my brother purchasing. He had a sale and a purchase, but I did, I didn't touch the sale. He had an agent for that. It was the purchasing, which it was in San Jose. So my backyard and we, I split the deal with his real estate agent. So my brother's like five, six years older than me. And I think that I'll forever be the little sister, the annoying little sister who wants to watch him play video games. And yeah. so it, it felt, it still felt good. I mean, half of a, a deal is better than no deal, but it was just interesting that level of trust. It's like, I trust you enough, but not like fully just being so young and so new. And another thing that you brought to mind is with that confidence, right. Of even though you don't have a lot of experience, I've had this conversation with a young agent on my team where when that feeling of not being an experienced or good enough agent comes up, right. You have to remember that your intention is, is what's really important, right? Because if you don't help these clients buying or selling with your good heart, your good intentions, who wants genuinely the best for them, they may go work with somebody else in the industry who is just looking to take advantage of them. And unfortunately, real estate agents- get, burn. Yeah. yeah. And some people think the best idea is to, oh, well, I'm just going to work with the listing agent, which- there's for sure some situations where that is an appropriate decision, but to your point, how do you, the listing agent has a fiduciary duty to who? They have it to the seller, not necessarily to right. the buyer. And if it's your family member or your friend, so much riding on that, of course, because if you don't do the transaction well, then you're forever tainted in, in that regard. It's, it's a merit on you, so to speak. And then in addition to that, it's your, it's your place of power. So you, that deal can't go wrong. So the extra white gloves treatment is always there. I think when you work with friends and family, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you are the best agent for them, whether you have experience or not, because the intention is there, the fiduciary responsibility. If you don't know something, you can figure it out. But if you are not looking out for someone's best interest, that's not something that's fixable, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So anyways, that's total tangent, but obviously I'm obsessed with real estate. <laughs> I could talk about any aspect of it on and on. So this, that was your first real estate sales transaction, obviously a huge win and victory and momentum moving forward because it showed you that you were capable in this arena that you hadn't been before. Can you share with us maybe your first real estate investment? So the first investment that I made was actually in May of 2022. I bought my house at the top of the market. No, but hey. I, bought, <laughs> I bought my first house, which is really cool. I, I'm very fortunate to live in Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's becoming a less affordable place, but juxtaposed to where we're both from in the Bay Area, it's a lot more affordable, especially when you factor in property taxes and whatnot. And in a state like this, it actually is for a long time. Now the numbers starting to change, but it's cheaper to almost own a house than it is to rent. So hmm. I've got my first house here and I'm looking to pay the principal down enough where I can be kind of cash flowing positive and kind of build that there and then buy another house and kind of keep playing that game in conjunction with my multifamily investments. Okay. 
Perfect. So let's kind of transition to that. Tell me where you're at with your portfolio today. You've mentioned multifamily and the transition. Can you shed some light on, on what your portfolio and what your business looks like today? Yeah. So I have my primary residence. I think it's really important to those who are ever buying real estate. There's a lot of, let's say if you live in New York or Los Angeles or the Bay Area, that's kind of some of the only few markets where you can't really buy. But if you live outside of those areas, it really makes sense to start with your primary residence because you're so much more capital efficient, especially when you think about the tax deductions you get for owning real estate. For instance, every month, I have a $3,000 write-off with the interest payment on my property, which is pretty incredible. So that's was will be my advice to everyone is to get your primary first. If you don't live in a state where that's really the most realistic, then I guess buying an investment property or doing what my next investments were, which is LP investments in the firm that I'm with prior to me joining the company. So I mm-hmm. am an LP in two deals in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, incredible deals with, with Lone Star Capital, the firm I'm with currently. I always thought that whether I was selling residential real estate, you have to buy what you're selling, right? So I own my property and I thought that was really important. In addition, I have to own what I'm selling as well too, which are uh, two LP positions, as I said, in the deals in, in Texas, both in Houston, which are great. So it's spread between those two. And then I'm also looking to roll my fee in another acquisition uh, we have coming up here in Texas as well, which I'm really excited about, which is a 666 portfolio acquisition in Houston using a really unique tax abatement structure, which is uh, pretty dense. Okay. It's a big Let's city. stop right here. <laughs> There's so much to dive into. And you mentioned being, that's okay. I know you're excited. I'm excited too. So first off you said, so you, you invested in your primary, which I agree. That was my first purchase too. And it's, paid off. It's like been paying me back in equity and that's great. So, and then you invested as an LP in two deals. I want to hear, you know, quickly explain, we know you're a limited partner, right? In deals, which go into what that means and what that means to you, why it was important and how you came across these deals. Yeah, absolutely. So being a limited partner means I'm one in the syndication structure of call it 50 investors. I have no major decision rights, but I'm happy about that. But in addition to not having any major decision rights, I also wasn't the signer on the loan. I don't have that on my debt to income kind of profile. So if you're, let's say, buying a property, if you're looking for your primary, it goes to your debt to income. So that doesn't bite into my debt side there. But in addition, I get direct deposits every single month and I don't have to lift a finger. So the sponsor, Lone Star Capital, the sponsor there is the person taking care of that, worrying about the distributions, compiling the K-1s and doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. So I wanted that because when you're a real estate professional, whether you're selling homes, if you're in commercial, if you're doing syndication, it's really nice to focus your time on the money-making side. Being in residential real estate, your biggest time is, hey, how many people can I meet with? Can I connect with? You don't want to be dealing with if a sink breaks, if you know something like that happens on a, on a primary residence. So I really, or an investment property, chasing people around for, for rent. So I really wanted a situation where I could passively have money come in, truly passive, coming in, not have to worry about anything, not have to lift a finger, have the ACH transfer come in every single month. Feel really great about that. And yeah, I can see every time you mention that, you see have a big grin. Yes, which is that it's it's literally money working for you, and I don't do anything. It's funny. My dishwasher in my house, I think, might be out, and my pool pump broke a little bit ago. So I have to deal with those things. But if that happened to my investment properties and the LP position, I wouldn't probably hear about it. Maybe in a monthly newsletter later on, 
they let me know about that in the financials, but that's really it. So it's a really empowering position to be in once you kind of put your money in these syndication structures. So yes, lots of benefits as a limited partner, especially as a real estate professional, because you're getting those tax write-offs also. Real estate is something that obviously you believe in as an investment and you're not having to do anything and you can focus on helping more people buy and sell, right? Did I sum that up? Yes, exactly. Yeah. You want to be in a position where you can leverage your time, not worry about that and let your money grow, of course. So how did you come across these deals and Lone Star Capital? Yeah, that's a great question. So it all started during COVID, summer of 2020. I was living <laughs> at two previous houses going here in Arizona. My friend and now business partner, Rob Beardsley, came to stay with us for what we thought might be two weeks. He ended up staying for three months because the firm is located in New York City. So New York was not the most friendly place to be during COVID. Phoenix was in Scottsdale was dramatically more open. And yeah. also being in the house as opposed to buildings, there was a lot more activity and things to do. So he came for what we thought would be two weeks. He ended up staying for three months. And we just started talking about real estate every single day. I was seeing him on his trajectory. And then I was restarting my residential career out here. And we just kind of bonded about real estate generally. And from that point, we, after he departed, we basically spoke on the phone every single day talking about what was going on in our lives and specifically real estate too. And then I think one day I was kind of getting chewed out or there was a, a small dispute over a home warranty, which my seller signed the contract saying that the buyer was going to pay for it. And I was getting kind of griped over $500. He was that day or that week, similarly, was getting about $35,000. So I was like, okay, well, I kind of want the $35,000 problem, not the $500 problem. Not that $500 isn't a lot of money. Of course it is. And I'm very respectful of that, but I yeah. wanted to level up my game and kind of maybe go in there and then we kind of spoke about maybe what it would look like if I maybe worked with them in some capacity and a situation really nicely opened up. And before I wanted to work with the company, I'm a big believer, as I say, and you better be buying what you're selling. So these two investments came up. I looked at the profile. I went through it with Rob. He kind of very nicely, I broke it down in the most simple terms that anyone could understand. It's like, okay, I feel comfortable with this. Plus, as you mentioned about the tax bonus depreciation side, as a real estate professional, I'm allowed to utilize bonus depreciation. So it just made all the sense in the world to go through with those deals. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Did you need to take a break here or no? No, I just need to charge the laptop. Yeah. Oh, okay. No worries. That makes a lot of sense. That's really funny that he ended up being like almost a roommate for three months. Yes. Yeah. Of course, by the end, you'd end up doing business together. That is hilarious. It's organic too. It just kind of worked out the way it did. And I feel really lucky. It's not like everyone who I meet or get to spend time with ends up being a that successful because he's only 26. And we currently now have a portfolio of $350 million of assets under management, which is crazy. And then we're also in the process of raising for our biggest deal yet, which is a $110 million three portfolio portfolio acquisition, which we're really excited about. So it's gonna be a $42 million raise, which is the biggest portfolio we've done yet. And it's really exciting. It's ambitious during these tough times, but it's just crazy to look back just three years ago, almost I mean, even slightly less than three years ago to now. It's it's really wild. So it's inspiring too. Yeah. Yeah. That is very inspiring. You said right now, Lone Star Capital or you and your partner are, have $350 million of assets under management. Did I hear that correctly? Correct. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of property. And is, are these primarily apartments or are you diversified in other asset classes? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So with Lone Star Capital, it's exclusively workforce housing in Texas, Houston, and Dallas. So mm -hmm. primary focus on that and that alone. We want to be really niche in that space. So we've about 2,500 plus units right across 11 properties. Wow. Okay. Like taking little notes here. Yeah. That's a pretty impressive portfolio under management. So great. Thanks for sharing about now, either professionally or personally with your real estate career, like what are some of the challenges that you're coming across, maybe making this transition or managing your time? Because now you're, you're, you're now you started as a limited partner, but now you're on the general partner side, correct? Right. Because yeah. you're working together. So tell us a bit about any of the challenges that come to mind with where you're currently at. Yeah, that's a great question. There's a couple of things. So some of the challenges that we're working through right now, from a firm perspective, I'll just start more macro and then I'll go micro. From a firm perspective, what we're dealing with, what everyone else is dealing with is interest rates. So making deals pencil with kind of crazy rates right now is very difficult. Of course, when rates go crazy, evaluations start coming down. So and people get kind of skittish. So interest rates are something that we're dealing with. More Texas specific too, is also insurance. So insurance is going up right now as well. And that's another thing that we have to deal with. So when you're in Texas as a sponsor, you got to worry about your property taxes, interest rates, and insurance. So insurance is something we do have a big policy, but it is eating away slightly at our numbers, but we're able to kind of bounce around it and make sure that we can pencil deals. And, and then, Craig, is the insurance going up because of the weather or what's going yeah, on there? So we're in Houston. So naturally everything costs them more expensive and the insurance num number will go up. There hasn't been a hurricane in Houston since Harvey. So right. it's just a factor that these companies, if they're going to insure you have to have to collect on and, and make right for all parties. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cause I remember that hurricane that came through there. That was pretty devastating, but that was a while back now. So I wasn't sure if that was the reason why insurance companies were raising their rates or if there was anything else to explain that right, phenomenon. Right. Just, unfortunately too, with inflation kind of going crazy right now and everything just costs more, whether it be labor, replication costs of properties. And unfortunately yeah. the insurance companies have their hands tied as well. And they don't, no one wants to have a number that high, but it has to be that high just due to the economics of everything. Interesting. Okay. Time back in where you were saying, so making deals pencil, out, yes. right, is a challenge with the rising interest rates and rising costs, right? Inflation. And the reason why that's a challenge too is because we work with a lot of partners like yourself who bring capital for us, fund managers and such. And their challenge is explaining to their clients what's going on and why this is a good idea to invest in the current market and holding their hand through the process as it is a scary one, holding their hand through the process and reassuring them this is a good idea to invest in and kind of keeping that going with the environment we're currently working against, as opposed to two years ago, I was throwing money in deals because it was the hottest thing to do. And now that the economy is cooling off, people are a lot more skittish to hand over their hard-earned dollars. And they're thinking maybe it's better to sell in cash right now than it is to invest in real estate. So let's jump into what kind of advice do you have for a beginner, a beginner in real estate, maybe somebody who wants to go down your path of syndication, capital raising, even real estate sales. Like if what comes to mind when you imagine talking to either yourself starting out or just a beginner in the space? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think I'll just start with residential sales. So if you're going to do that, Know that right away, no one's going to be calling you or doing you a favor. I think everyone gets in the business thinking that their phone's going to magically start ringing. That's just really not the case. 
So you better have your prospecting boots on and it is a prospecting business and an outreach business and an effort business. So anyone can make it in the business, but not everyone is super on the ball and consistent with prospecting. So if you are going to get in the residential space, be ready to do a sickening amount of outreach to get it going and recurring. Otherwise, it may not be the right business for you, unfortunately. So that'd be my advice to anyone getting going is just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and putting yourself out there. In yeah. Sickening amount of outreach. Can we just note that if you're getting it into real estate with your license, just be prepared to do in a sickening amount of outreach to find clients. Prospecting is your number one job. That was, I wrote, I'm going to write this down. That's a hilarious quote. I'm going to use it when anybody reaches out to me. Okay. Time in, keep going. Yeah. So if you're getting the capital raising side, I would definitely say it's an awesome business. Start networking with people, join mastermind groups. There's so many amazing ones out there. So do that. And I also think another thing is too, if you want to get in the syndication space, so many people want to be the key, the key principal, like Rob or Kent for Lone Star Capital. But I, I think if you want to get in the space and learn it really inside and out, I actually know what I know, have zero desire to be the CEO and whatnot. I just want to be with the group that is doing the amount of transaction volume that we're doing where I don't have the responsibilities of that, but I can be, be really good at what I'm doing. So if you're thinking about getting in the syndication space, I either want to be a capital raiser like yourself or be in my position, which is spearheading, growing relationships, doing it that way, working within a system that is working because you're going to learn so much. There's a lot more certainty there, in my opinion. And you become the local expert there and you get, can build really great relationships that will compound really nicely. Okay. Okay. I like, I like all that advice. I know that you kind of jumped in with Rob and maybe you haven't like explored other groups, but tell us what you like about Lone Star Capital and, and kind of, I guess on this note of if somebody were wanting to get in with a group, what is it they should be looking for in an, a GP operations key, key principle? What should they look for? Yeah, so what I found really appealing to Lone Star Capital was first and foremost was just the people there. I mean, obviously Rob and I have an immense amount of trust, but Rob's a very sharp guy. He went to Carnegie Mellon for computer science and dropped out because he was negotiating a $20 million deal, if I'm not mistaken, when he was like a, a junior or a sophomore. And he's like, yeah, he talked to his academic advisor. He's like, hey, you should probably go chase that idea. And if that doesn't work, I'll come back to school. And then Kent, the other key principal for over a decade, was a tax attorney at MetLife and went to NYU Law. So really sharp, sophisticated people. I want to do smart things with smart people. That's actually a slogan of Lone Star, smart, smart things with smart people. And I felt as if, if anyone can make it, it's these people just due to their acumen and how smart and professional they were. So I wanted to work with really bright folks who also had a track record, but also weren't too big where I would be another kind of number in their group, but I could kind of grow accordingly with the group. So I hitched my wagons to them at a really great time. So that's kind of how on my end, I found the group that I'm working with. Now, if you're kind of someone in your shoes or a capital raiser, what I would ask when I'm vetting a sponsor is what's your track record like? Mm -hmm. Do you have a good gut feeling when you speak with them? Do you have any friends that are, and this goes back to being in the mastermind groups, do you have friends that are in that mastermind group who can give you good references and referrals that have done well by them, that have had a good relationship, have had a good experience? Because unfortunately, 
the reality is with these deals is that so many of these offerings actually all kind of, if you look at them enough, I'm sure you're going to smile at this and laugh. They're all going to look the same, yet your experience with them will be different. They're all going to say, okay, it's going to be somewhere between a 13 to an 18 IRR, but the reporting, the mm -hmm. communication and stuff will always vary. So making sure that you're on the same page there and that you have someone who has had a good experience with them is really important. And fortunately, just like anything else, it's just really tough getting going. If you're a new sponsor looking for a deal and getting people to say yes, it's it's really tough. And if you're a capital raiser, it can be tough finding someone. And if, if you are raising capital, you don't want to be the first deal you raise for to be the last deal you raise for due to the fact that the deal kind of blew up. So it's really important on everyone's side to make sure that interests are all aligned and expectations are good and you're working with someone that you feel is of value. Yes. All very great points. Thanks for that insight. I think that anybody wanting to get into the space, that's something that you maybe want to rewind and listen to again. So tell me about something real estate related or not that you are currently obsessed with. Okay. That's a great question. So <laughs> obsessed with the build, right? So my goal in life is to get to a point where I don't actually have to work on a need basis. It's just by a choice basis. And do what I do right now. I'm so inspired to wake up every single day with so much purpose and joy and loving conversations like this and meeting other great people in this space. So my joy right now is just the build. So that is putting more down on my house to get to the next house. So I'm obsessed with kind of the portfolio growth and seeing it compound actually over the weekend on Saturday night. I'm really boring, by the way. On Saturday night, I actually packed out my kind of net worth and also where my money was and then also what my next couple of moves were. So my next couple of moves are going to be to pay down the principal here to every single year put about five to six figures into our deals a year if I can and then buy another property. And out here in Arizona, you can actually buy with a ton of leverage as opposed to the Bay Area where I could put yeah. even less than 10% down on a really nice place in the area that I desire. So mm. The next couple of years is to to always put money in our deals, pay the principal down here, turn this into a rental, and then buy another primary and rinse, wash, repeat. You are hilarious. What an exciting Saturday night for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, I've said on this show before how important it is to track your net worth. And that's something that me and my home girls started doing last year is getting together and kind of just tracking that. Not as much. I mean, I get inspired right from hearing everybody else's, but just so that we're on top of it, right? Because if, if what's that saying, if it's, if it's worth doing, it's worth tracking or something like that, right? I'm probably butchering it, but just having that number and watching it and working actively working on how you're going to grow it is how you get from one level to the next. So it sounds like you have a different, you have a few different action plans going on. So yeah, that's I want, And I want to be relatively diversified in the sense that I have an inherent leg up knowing the insider scoop on our deals and I'm believe it in our deals. So I want to invest there. But in addition to, since I do have backend upside on these, some of these deals, of course, I would also want to diversify a bit and take out some debt myself and leverage that and kind of keep buying properties here in my own Arizona portfolio, because we are Texas based. It'd be nice to have couple other markets as well. Arizona, who knows in the future if we expand out of Texas, but perhaps maybe a deal in the Carolinas or Georgia or Florida with a sponsor that we're familiar with, just to kind of spread it out and have a nice robust portfolio would be really, really cool. So 
Yeah, that is really cool. And that's another thing that I love about syndications. And I know we're harping on this because we both are in this realm. So sorry, listeners, if you're like, we get it, you love syndications, but you get to like diversify your portfolio, not just among multi-units, which is a lot safer than like you said, or less time intensive than single family, right? But also in different states, you can kind of expose your portfolio bit by bit to different areas, right? Which is really cool. That same amount of money, for example, when I bought my fourplex, the same amount of money I could have bought in like two to four different states to generate income and then done nothing with it. But instead I bought this fourplex and I'm working on it every week, putting out fires and fixing a plumbing leak, a drain line burst this week. So anyways, I like all aspects of real estate, but again, to your point, like diversifying that way is, is really smart. And it's a really yeah. smart thing to do. And I think the really cool thing is, is you want to work with a sponsor, in my opinion, that's super niche in an area. So just Lone Star Capital, we're super niche in Houston and in Dallas. We want to be mm-hmm. really market specific because then we know what a good deal looks like in reference to, let's say, if a property comes up that we're putting offers in it. It's really nice to be able to see how that would perform, where their rents are at. And we know kind of it's a red light, green light thing based upon where comps can be and such. Similarly, but if I'm a capital raiser and investor, I want to spread out, but I would want to work with a, with a sponsor who's only in a certain area. So it's kind of funny how we're on the both different sides of it, right? So yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to ha- work with somebody or like you said, I like the phrase "hit your trailer" too. Somebody that's very focused in that area, even like vertically integrated, meaning they have their own property management and project management there because they're the experts, just like in residential sales, right? I couldn't go to Scottsdale. I mean, my license for one, but get an Arizona license and then be the expert there because I'm the expert here. So. Anyways, I would love to hear if you have any book recommendations or podcast recommendations. Yes. So book recommendation. This is actually my founder's book, Rob Beardsley, The Definitive Guide to Underwriting Multifamily Acquisitions. And then his second book that came out is Structuring Debt and Equity. So let me pull that one up here as well. Structuring and raising debt and equity for real estate. Well, that looks like a quick read. Yeah, exactly. They're 100-ish pages, not really nutrient-dense, I would say, on that. I think if you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that just, you Mm -hmm. have to do it. And then Hunter Thompson has a book, Raising Capital for Real Estate, which is pretty incredible as well, too. Um, Mm -hmm. So those would be my four books. Obviously, I'm biased with these two, but (laughs) Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a philosophy that I, after reading that, will tailor my life around, so... Yeah, I think, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad has changed so many lives and just the the thought process around money. I think, yeah, it, it gets mentioned a lot and for good reason, and it's an easy read. So all four of these I'll have in our show links. If you head to the show notes or go to the website, it says realestateshow.com. You'll, you can find links to these books there. And what is a fun fact about you, Craig, that maybe people don't know right off the bat. It doesn't have to be real estate related, but let give us some insight into you and your, who you are. Yeah. Fun fact is my favorite thing in the world to do is actually to travel. It's, <laughs> it's actually, and believe it or not, why I want to set up my life and tailor it to having all these LP positions, being an investor in Lone Star deals and other syndications and get rental properties going because 
At some point, I want to basically travel half the year, be in Arizona during the fun months, aka October to May, and then in the summer take off to various places around. I just love that side, and I'm trying to tailor my life from a cash flow perspective where my salary can be replaced by my real estate investments and kind of build that snowball effect in, in that regard. So my favorite thing to do is to travel. And that's okay, but you're not alone there. Most people like to travel. Tell me about like the most interesting place you've been or experience you've had or food you've tasted. I, well, it's kind of cliche if you go there, but in Thailand, when I went to Bangkok, I was on Khosan Road and they have, it's very hectic, but they have all these bugs. And I actually tried a scorpion. So that was quite exciting. Yes. It's a scorpion on a stick. You don't try that every day. So I would say oh my that. God. Uh, and then the most interesting place would probably be in Asia because went to Thailand and Bali prior to me moving to Scottsdale. So I was in the Bay Area, obviously, as we discussed. And then I had a month and a half process where I just did a big deal. I double edited a deal in Menlo Park, which was really exciting. So I was like, okay, well, I have no responsibility. I have no rent or overhead right now. I think I'm going to go take off and do this before I can't. And then ironically, three months later, COVID hit. So very, very fortunate timing in that regard. But it was a incredible experience. I look back or look forward to hopefully going back in the not too distant future. So yeah. Oh my God. I don't think I could do a scorpion. Yeah, it's a little crunchy. So interesting. Okay. I feel like growing up there was like lollipops with scorpions in them. Do you ever remember seeing those? Was, I think there were Mexican lollipops and then tequila and stuff. A little liquid courage didn't hurt the situation, full disclosure. Okay. okay. Slightly more enticing, but uh, it happened and yeah, I would do it again. Now you get to say that you did it. So yes. It was totally worth it. So you kind of have already touched on this about what's next for you, right? You've got this huge raise. You've got this plan in place for paying off your principal on your primary and buying another and just having that snowball. Is there anything else that you could share with us that's next on the horizon for you? Next on the horizon is just doubling down on what I'm doing currently. It's so funny. I think some, a lot of people, and I've fallen into this, Oh, what's next? What's next? And I think refining what I have currently on my plate, getting better, learning every day, being around the best and the brightest, which I think Rob and Kent and the Lone Star team are learning more there and becoming more of an expert and educating more people is kind of what's next for me and kind of starting a journey of the education side and creating really cool content that people may find valuable. Evergreen content, which is very basic because so many people in this space use a lot of sophisticated jargon, which maybe can intimidate people, but I want to break this down in the most simple terms where someone, if you're not a real estate expert or in the residential sales ward or, or a capital raiser could under, understand, comprehend, and feel very good about making the investment. So my mission and goal moving forward would be to be an educator in that realm for more of the retail investors. Okay. So you're going to be working on creating educational content around this. Yeah, it's the fun stuff. Who knows? Maybe TikTok too one day. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe if it's still around, we'll see. Exactly. So where can people get in touch with you, follow your journey, and then maybe find out about future deals and how to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my email is C-R-A-I-G. So Craig and then at Lone Star Capitals or, or Craig, C-R-A-I-G at L-S-C-R-E.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn, of course, so feel free to message me there and add me there. And then also on Instagram, but the best content will be from LinkedIn and from email. So if you want to get our on our investor list, please feel free to do so. I can add you to that. You send me an email or a text. We can kind of go from 
Perfect. Okay, great. I will have your email and your LinkedIn, maybe your Instagram and your show notes. Yeah. Is that more of a personal? No, it's all good. It's, it's public. So so it. feel free. Yeah, you get all, okay. all, all shades and sides. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll have those in the show notes for anybody wanting to reach out. I definitely think you should, if you're wanting to get in this space and it sounds like he's going to be coming out with some really cool educational content. And I think that'll be really cool. And I look forward to seeing that, seeing how that comes out. So thank you so much, Craig, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, that was our interview. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, like, subscribe, support the show for more content like this. And if you are so inclined, I'd love a five-star review. It'll help me in the algorithm and reach more people. That would be wonderful. If you'd like to connect with the show, feel free to go to the website, obsessedwithrealestateshow.com, where you can find all of the resources, all the book recommendations, links to those, as well as submit to be a guest on the show. You can find me on Instagram, follow and reach out at Alana George underscore real estate. I'd love if you reached out and said hello. As well as if you are interested in syndications, my website, clearconnectioncapital.com has a lot of information on what syndications are, why they're beneficial as real estate investments. So check that out. I will see you on the next episode.